Welcome to Just Listen, a celebration of literature from Nashville Public Library. For more stories and poetry, visit our website at library.nashville.org. Please feel free to leave a comment or to make requests or recommendations. And now, for today's selection. Sherwood Anderson was a very introspective and subjective writer whose work was often loaded with personal experience. As you listen to the following story, keep in mind that Anderson married four times. His spouses were Cornelia Pratt Lane from 1904 to 1916, Tennessee Claflin Mitchell from 1916 to 1924, Elizabeth Prawl from 1924 to 1932, and Eleanor Copenhaver from 1933 to 1941. The narrative is almost, but not quite, stream of consciousness. The speaker rattles on through the pages, giving voice to the flow of thoughts passing through his mind as he relates his impulsive cheating on his fiancée, later his wife, contradicting himself at several points, occasionally losing track of the point he's trying to make, and even creating an impression opposite to what he obviously intends to convey in the mind of the listener. The unreliable narrator would become a staple of literature over the 20th century. In some popular fiction, it's just a technique of misdirection, letting the author hide certain elements of the plot from the reader until the truth can be sprung in a surprise ending. But in more serious writing, the unreliable narrator allows just what we find in the other woman. Complexity, uncertainty, which may not entertain as much, but makes us think and rethink to examine and re-examine our own feelings. The Other Woman by Sherwood Anderson We begin. I am in love with my wife, he said, a superfluous remark as I had not questioned his attachment to the woman he had married. We walked for ten minutes and then he said it again. I turned to look at him. He began to talk and told me the tale I am now about to set down. The thing he had on his mind happened during what must have been the most eventful week of his life. He was to be married on Friday afternoon. On Friday of the week before, he got a telegram announcing his appointment to a government position. Something else happened that made him very proud and glad. In secret, he was in the habit of writing verses, and during the year before, several of them had been printed in poetry magazines. One of the societies that give prizes for what they think the best poems published during the year put his name at the head of their list. The story of his triumph was printed in the newspapers of his home city, and one of them also printed his picture. As might have been expected, he was excited and in a rather highly strung nervous state all during that week. Almost every evening he went to call on his fiancée, the daughter of a judge. When he got there, the house was filled with people and many letters, telegrams, and packages were being received. He stood a little to one side and men and women kept coming to speak with him. They congratulated him upon his success in getting the government position and on his achievement as a poet. Everyone seemed to be praising him and when he went home to bed he could not sleep. On Wednesday evening he went to the theater, and it seemed to him that people all over the house recognized him. Everyone nodded and smiled. After the first act, five or six men and two women left their seats to gather about him. A little group was formed. Strangers sitting along the same row of seats stretched their necks and looked. 
He had never received so much attention before, and now a fever of expectancy took possession of him. As he explained when he told me of his experience, it was for him an altogether abnormal time. He felt like one floating in air. When he got into bed after seeing so many people and hearing so many words of praise, his head whirled round and round. When he closed his eyes, a crowd of people invaded his room. It seemed as though the minds of all the people of his city were centered on himself. The most absurd fancies took possession of him. He imagined himself riding in a carriage through the streets of a city. Windows were thrown open and people ran out of the doors of houses. There he is! That's him! they shouted, and at the words a glad cry arose. The carriage drove into a street blocked with people. A hundred thousand pairs of eyes looked up at him. There you are! What a fellow you have managed to make of yourself! the eyes seemed to be saying. My friend could not explain whether the excitement of the people was due to the fact that he had written a new poem, or whether, in his new government position, he had performed some notable act. The apartment where he lived at that time was on a street perched along the top of a cliff, far out at the edge of the city, and from his bedroom window he could look down over trees and factory roofs to a river. As he could not sleep, and as the fancies that kept crowding in upon him only made him more excited, he got out of bed and tried to think. As would be natural under such circumstances, he tried to control his thoughts, but when he sat by the window and was wide awake, a most unexpected and humiliating thing happened. The night was clear and fine. There was a moon. He wanted to dream of the woman who was to be his wife, think out lines for noble poems, or make plans that would affect his career. Much to his surprise, his mind refused to do anything of the sort. At a corner of the street where he lived, there was a small cigar store and newspaper stand run by a fat man of forty and his wife, a small active woman with bright gray eyes. In the morning he stopped there to buy a paper before going down to the city. Sometimes he saw only the fat man, but often the man had disappeared and the woman waited on him. She was, as he assured me at least twenty times in telling me his tale, a very ordinary person with nothing special or notable about her. But for some reason he could not explain, being in her presence stirred him profoundly. During that week, in the midst of his distraction, she was the only person he knew who stood out clear and distinct in his mind. When he wanted so much to think noble thoughts, he could think only of her. Before he knew what was happening, his imagination had taken hold of the notion of having a love affair with the woman. I could not understand myself, he declared in telling me the story. At night, when the city was quiet and when I should have had sleep, I thought about her all the time. After two or three days of that sort of thing, the consciousness of her got into my daytime thoughts. I was terribly muddled. When I went to see the woman who is now my wife, I found that my love for her was in no way affected by my vagrant thoughts. There was but one woman in the world I wanted to live with me and to be my comrade in undertaking to improve my own character and my position in the world. But for the moment, you see, I wanted this other woman to be in my arms. She had worked her way into my being. On all sides, people were saying I was a big man who would do big things, and there I was. That evening, when I went to the theater, I walked home because I knew I would be unable to sleep, and to satisfy the annoying impulse in myself, I went and stood on the sidewalk before the tobacco shop. 
It was a two-story building, and I knew the woman lived upstairs with her husband. For a long time I stood in the darkness with my body pressed against the wall of the building, and then I thought of the two of them up there, no doubt in bed together. That made me furious. Then I grew more furious at myself. I went home and got into bed shaken with anger. There are certain books of verse and some prose writings that have always moved me deeply, and so I put several books on a table by my bed. The voices in the books were like the voices of the dead. I did not hear them. The words printed on the lines would not penetrate into my consciousness. I tried to think of the woman I loved, but her figure had also become something far away, something with which I for the moment seemed to have nothing to do. I rolled and tumbled about in the bed. It was a miserable experience. On Thursday morning I went into the store. There stood the woman alone. I think she knew how I felt. Perhaps she had been thinking of me as I had been thinking of her. A doubtful, hesitating smile played about the corners of her mouth. She had on a dress made of cheap cloth, and there was a tear on the shoulder. She must have been ten years older than myself. When I tried to put my pennies on the glass counter behind which she stood, my hand trembled so that the pennies made a sharp, rattling noise. When I spoke, the voice that came out of my throat did not sound like anything that had ever belonged to me. It barely arose above a thick whisper. "'I want you,' I said. "'I want you very much. Can't you run away from your husband? Come to me at my apartment at seven tonight.' The woman did come to my apartment at seven. That morning she did not say anything at all. For a minute, perhaps, we stood looking at each other. I had forgotten everything in the world but just her. Then she nodded her head and I went away. Now that I think of it, I cannot remember a word I ever heard her say. She came to my apartment at seven, and it was dark. You must understand this was in the month of October. I had not lighted a light, and I had sent my servant away. During that day, I was no good at all. Several men came to see me at my office, but I got all muddled up in trying to talk with them. They attributed my rattle-headedness to my approaching marriage and went away laughing. It was on that morning, just the day before my marriage, that I got a long and very beautiful letter from my fiancé. During the night before, she also had been unable to sleep, and had got out of bed to write the letter. Everything she said in it was very sharp and real, but she herself, as a living thing, seemed to have receded into the distance. It seemed to me that she was like a bird, flying far away in distant skies, and I was like a perplexed, barefooted boy standing in the dusty road before a farmhouse and looking at her receding figure. I wonder if you will understand what I mean. In regard to the letter, in it she, the awakening woman, poured out her heart. She, of course, knew nothing of life, but she was a woman. She lay, I suppose, in her bed, feeling nervous and wrought up as I had been doing. She realized that a great change was about to take place in her life, and was glad and afraid, too. There she lay, thinking of it all. Then she got out of bed and began talking to me on the bit of paper. She told me how afraid she was, and how glad, too. Like most young women, she had heard things whispered. In the letter she was very sweet and fine. For a long time after we are married, we will forget we are a man and woman, she wrote. We will be human beings. You must remember that I am ignorant, and often I will be very stupid. You must love me and be very patient and kind.
When I know more, when after a long time you have taught me the way of life, I will try to repay you. I will love you tenderly and passionately. The possibility of that is in me, or I would not want to marry at all. I am afraid, but I am also happy. Oh, I am so glad our marriage time is near at hand. Now you see clearly enough into what a mess I had got. In my office, after I read my fiancé's letter, I became at once very resolute and strong. I remember that I got out of my chair and walked about, proud of the fact that I was to be the husband of so noble a woman. Right away I felt concerning her as I had been feeling about myself before I found out what a weak thing I was. To be sure, I took a strong resolution that I would not be weak. At nine that evening I had planned to run in to see my fiancé. I'm all right now, I said to myself. The beauty of her character has saved me from myself. I will go home now and send the other woman away. In the morning I had telephoned to my servant and told him that I did not want him to be at the apartment that evening, and I now picked up the telephone to tell him to stay at home. Then a thought came to me. I will not want him there in any event, I told myself. What will he think when he sees a woman coming to my place on the evening before the day I am to be married? I put the telephone down and prepared to go home. If I want my servant out of the apartment, it is because I do not want him to hear me talk with the woman. I cannot be rude to her. I will have to make some kind of an explanation, I said to myself. The woman came at seven o'clock, and as you may have guessed, I let her in and forgot the resolution I had made. It is likely I never had any intention of doing anything else. There was a bell on my door, but she did not ring, but knocked very softly. It seemed to me that everything she did that evening was soft and quiet, but very determined and quick. Do I make myself clear? When she came, I was standing just within the door, where I had been standing and waiting for a half hour. My hands were trembling as they had trembled in the morning when her eyes looked at me and when I tried to put the pennies on the counter in the store. When I opened the door, she stepped quickly in and I took her into my arms. We stood together in the darkness. My hands no longer trembled. I felt very happy and strong. Although I have tried to make everything clear, I have not told you what the woman I married is like. I have emphasized, you see, the other woman— I make the blind statement that I love my wife, and to a man of your shrewdness that means nothing at all. To tell the truth, had I not started to speak of this matter, I would feel more comfortable. It is inevitable that I give you the impression that I am in love with the tobacconist's wife. That's not true. To be sure, I was very conscious of her all during the week before my marriage, but after she had come to me at my apartment, she went entirely out of my mind. Am I telling the truth? I am trying very hard to tell what happened to me. I am saying that I have not since that evening thought of the woman who came to my apartment. Now, to tell the facts of the case, that is not true. On that evening, I went to my fiancé at nine, as she had asked me to do in her letter. In a kind of way I cannot explain, the other woman went with me. This is what I mean. You see, I had been thinking that if anything happened between me and the tobacconist's wife, I would not be able to go through with my marriage. It is one thing or the other with me, I had said to myself. As a matter of fact, I went to see my beloved on that evening filled with a new faith in the outcome of our life together. 
I am afraid I muddle this matter in trying to tell it. A moment ago I said the other woman, the tobacconist's wife, went with me. I do not mean she went in fact. What I am trying to say is that something of her faith in her own desires and her courage in seeing things through went with me. Is that clear to you? When I got to my fiancé's house, there was a crowd of people standing about. Some were relatives from distant places I had not seen before. She looked up quickly when I came into the room. My face must have been radiant. I never saw her so moved. She thought her letter had affected me deeply, and of course it had. Up she jumped and ran to meet me. She was like a glad child. Right before the people who turned and looked inquiringly at us, she said the thing that was in her mind. Oh, I am so happy, she cried. You have understood. We will be two human beings. We will not have to be husband and wife. As you may suppose, everyone laughed, but I did not laugh. The tears came into my eyes. I was so happy I wanted to shout. Perhaps you understand what I mean. In the office that day, when I read the letter my fiancé had written, I had said to myself, I will take care of the dear little woman. There was something smug, you see, about that. In her house, when she cried out in that way, and when everyone laughed, what I said to myself was something like this, We will take care of ourselves. I whispered something of the sort into her ears. To tell you the truth, I had come down off my perch. The spirit of the other woman did that to me. Before all the people gathered about, I held my fiancé close and we kissed. They thought it very sweet of us to be so affected at the sight of each other. What they would have thought had they known the truth about me, God only knows. Twice now I have said that after that evening I never thought of the other woman at all. That is partially true, but sometimes in the evening when I am walking alone in the street, or in the park as we are walking now, and when evening comes softly and quickly as it has come tonight, the feeling of her comes sharply into my body and mind. After that one meeting I never saw her again. On the next day I was married and I have never gone back into her street. Often, however, as I am walking along as I am doing now, a quick, sharp, earthy feeling takes possession of me. It is as though I were a seed in the ground and the warm rains of the spring had come. It is as though I were not a man but a tree. And now you see I am married and everything is all right. My marriage is to me a very beautiful fact. If you were to say that my marriage is not a happy one, I would call you a liar and be speaking the absolute truth. I have tried to tell you about this other woman. There is a kind of relief in speaking of her. I have never done it before. I wonder why I was so silly as to be afraid that I would give you the impression I am not in love with my wife. If I did not instinctively trust your understanding, I would not have spoken. As the matter stands, I have a little stirred myself up. Tonight I shall think of the other woman. That sometimes occurs. It will happen after I have gone to bed. My wife sleeps in the next room to mine, and the door is always left open. There will be a moon tonight, and when there is a moon, long streaks of light fall on her bed. I shall awake at midnight tonight. She will be lying asleep with one arm thrown over her head. What is that I am talking about? A man does not speak of his wife lying in bed. What I am trying to say is that, because of this talk, I shall think of the other woman tonight. My thoughts will not take the form they did the week before I was married. I will wonder what has become of the woman. 
For a moment I will again feel myself holding her close. I will think that for an hour I was closer to her than I have ever been to anyone else. Then I will think of the time when I will be as close as that to my wife. She is still, you see, an awakening woman. For a moment I will close my eyes and the quick, shrewd, determined eyes of that other woman will look into mine. My head will swim and then I will quickly open my eyes and see again the dear woman with whom I have undertaken to live out my life. Then I will sleep and when I awake in the morning it will be as it was that evening when I walked out of my dark apartment after having had the most notable experience of my life. What I mean to say, you understand, is that for me, when I awake, the other woman will be utterly gone. Thanks for joining us. Tune in to another session of Just Listen by visiting your Nashville Public Library website at library.nashville.org.